0: Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques, and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers. We want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. Jack is off on holiday in the Lake District. So this week, I'm joined by a wonderful guest with a lot of knowledge and years when it comes to growing. Angie from Plot26A on Instagram has had her allotment for over eight years and grows amazing varieties of food, involves children in growing, is a new chicken mum, and is the founder of the hashtag on Instagram, My Month on the Plot. Angie, welcome to the podcast. How are you and how's your week going?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm having a good week. Um, and it's a bit miserable today, but the sun has been out this week, so it's a good week. Yeah,
0: yeah some things are just starting to ripen a little bit more
1: absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah they stand a chance now I think
0: fingers crossed we're hoping for that Indian summer I don't know if it's coming
1: yeah I'm not gonna (laughs) count any chickens
0: (laughs) (laughs) fantastic so you um have had your plot for a long time can you tell us about your allotment and the space that you grow in
1: yeah so I've had my plot for eight years now um I was on a waiting list for quite a long time before that about five years um When I was in my teens, my family moved to a house with a long garden. So there was an opportunity to have a bit of a veg plot. And me and my dad used to grow some veg down there and he grew some fabulous tomatoes that I've never managed to reproduce. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so when we moved out of the area, I really wanted to carry on growing vegetables. But our garden at home didn't allow for that because it's very hilly, north facing, just Mm really difficult conditions so I applied for a plot um and then waited a long time I did pester a bit which I think might have moved me up a touch quicker than I would have done but um yeah eventually I got the plot um at the time I'd just had my fourth child so I turned up with a carry cart and three little tiny children um my husband was working away and i think they thought i was absolutely insane for wanting to take on an allotment (laughs) but i was like yes i'm taking it i've waited so long so we started off with a half plot, um which was in pretty good condition to be fair it had a polytunnel already on it um we we were just asked to pay a donation to the person who'd had it before (laughs) rather than them take it away so it was an absolute bargain (laughs) um Had a very rickety old shed. It had a few raised beds that weren't in the best condition, but they were there. So, yeah, it was just a case of working one bed at a time, which was, you know, perfectly doable. Not a huge amount really got grown because I had several toddlers trampling and digging. And (laughs) so it was, uh, it. It wasn't particularly productive the first couple of years, but they had a great time and we learned so much. Um, and yeah, and then a couple of years down the line we got to take over another half plot. So we've now got a full plot. By that point, I'd moved more into no dig, so yeah. we made more beds, but with a no-dig method.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. How was what was the condition of the other half plot like?
1: Um Yeah, yeah, not so good. Um, To be fair, it was quite good ground because the guy who'd had it previously, um, he had manured it over years. Mm -hmm. So it it did have decent condition on the soil, but it had not been used for quite a long time. So there was an awful lot of weed going on, couch grass, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, but there were some really good strawberry plants hidden in there. So there was some positive
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny isn't it I mean that's something that we talk about on the podcast a lot is having to study the the soil in the land that you you end up with and we um, took on two allotments before we ended up here on the farm and um, we also rented out like the front of someone's house which had gone to six foot of weeds because his yeah. his wife had gone and, and she did all the gardening and he just left it so and the difference between those two plots and then coming here was so different and you could tell despite the fact that that they come with different challenges so the the one that had overgrown had incredible soil underneath but Mm -hmm. really big weed problems when we came here we had 35 years of maize production before us and so all we had was barren soil and and serious compaction so um different challenges so yeah there's there's no one size fits all really is there
1: no not at all and i suppose that's what makes it interesting you know Mm -hmm. if if Everything happened the same year in, year out, and there was no variation. I think we'd all soon get bored, wouldn't we? Yeah,
0: yeah, very true. <laughs> and and you've, so you say you've been doing it for over eight years. I think um, we certainly haven't got bored. Have you seen a massive fluctuation between those years? I think sometimes it feels that with our second year on the farm, and it's so drastically different between those two years, but we're sort of hoping, always saying next year will be easier. Um, do you see huge fluctuations?
1: Yeah, there's definitely fluctuations year on year. Um, I think you know, work, gardening on an allotment, um, you're obviously part of a community. And mm. one thing that the old boys on the allotment and some of the old girls as well, it's quite yeah. a, a mix, um, said to me was every year there will be things that do brilliantly and every year there'll be things that do terribly and that will never be the same mm. any two years in a row. So, um, and that's been true. You know, some years, tomatoes are fantastic. Other years, the root crops are the thing that really shine. You know, everything has its time, but it's very rare to get a year where everything does as well as you'd hoped. You know, it's just, yeah, for me anyway, that's never <laughs> happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose as long as you, you understand that and know that and are willing to eat with that, then, yeah. then that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, and I think growing on an allotment, um you know you are growing a big variety of things usually Mm. so you kind of hedging your bets there you know it's there's a good chance that at least some of the things that you're growing are going to do well um and you do you just have to accept and sometimes I think as gardeners we can well I'm certainly guilty of it you kind of get into this I'm in control situation (laughs) you know I am doing this, I've done everything right, I've read books, I've read the seed packets, I'm doing it right. And then it goes wrong because Mother Nature has a different plan. And I think the the most success is when you can relax into that and realise that you're not actually the one in control. And we can tweak and we can cajole, but really um, we do have to accept there are greater forces at work.
0: Yeah, that's something that we've had to come to terms with this year. It's a a little Mm -hmm. bit different for us because it's it's our our income, but it's um, we we grow in such a way that we call our farm a massive allotment, essentially. So it's all the same, no dig methods, and just trying to make money from it. And I think Mm -hmm. we found peace in the last couple of months in that we just need to grow enough for everyone, us, the pests the fluctuations in season and just relax, as you say, into that, that, that nature is, is well in charge. And we're never gonna, we're playing a game or having a dance rather than fighting.
1: Yes, that's very well put. I think, um, whenever I'm sowing seeds with the children, we always say it's one for the bugs, one for the birds and one for us. Um, (laughs) and hopefully you get one out of three. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a fantastic way of putting it. I like that a lot. so you said you pestered a lot to get your allotment. Was there anything mm. else particularly or anything that you've seen others do that that might speed up that process? I mean, it can really put people off saying they might have to wait five years.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a long time. And I know people who've had to wait even longer than that. Um, but I think it depends on how your allotment is managed. When I took my plot, it was council run. So it was a yeah. case of just keep phoning the council, you know, every month. Where am I on the waiting list? How long is it likely to be? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but if, like now, our allotments have changed, so they're self-managed, so they're still council-owned, but we run ourselves. Yeah. Um. So if that's the case, they are the people who are going to put you on the waiting list and move you up. Um, I think it's definitely true on our allotment. If you show your face, if you show an interest, if you turn up to the allotment garden party or the annual show, chat to people, Mm. um, explain that you're willing to take on that plot that no one else wants, you know, um, then that's a way to get in there. There's also quite a lot of people on allotment sites now that are getting older who are probably struggling to maintain those plots but don't want to give them up. And I think if you can... Um, make it known to allotment sites that you would be willing maybe to go and assist one of those people on their plots, perhaps in exchange for a couple of raised beds of your own or, you know, that kind of thing, that might be a good way to get in there. Yeah. Um, I know from experience on ours that if if you take that plot that no one else wants, for example, and you manage that for a year and you get it back to being productive, if another better plot comes up, that is offered first to the people on the site rather than the next person on the waiting list. Mm-hmm. So, even if you turn up and you think, "Oh my word, this plot's horrific," <laughs> um, if you just need to get it covered, just get it covered. Get you know it back into some kind of production. It might allow you to get the plot of your dreams afterwards. You know,
0: there's some great tips there. That's exactly how well we ended up. Um, sharing a plot so mm-hmm. exactly that it was a lovely lady but she had a plot and wasn't able to keep up with it and she said look i'm looking for someone to share it with and we took on two raised beds out of the six that she had on there and that quickly became four she just yeah. wanted to be able to still come down to the allotment and and do her little plot and that then led to us being offered another one and before we knew it we were on two so
1: yeah and um, i can totally see that you know i, I can't imagine ever wanting to give up allotment in you know so hopefully there'll be some young thing with big muscles that comes along and helps me out when I'm 93 you know <laughs>
0: yeah. I think the first thing we did was went and helped mend what you said as you said a rickety old shed and that was the best go. thing ever there. so <laughs> yeah. that was all good so on your plot what's um what what thing you said you're growing a huge variety but what's the uh, sort of main growing this year that's going on
1: well, um, I've tried to grow kind of a little of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, everything that we eat. There's no point in growing things you don't eat, is there? But um, yeah, I think the things that have done particularly well this year um, are the greens. So the kales, the chards, spinach up to a point. Spinach is always a bit of a pain for bolting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and obviously we've, we've had kind of very dry spells and then very wet spells. hasn't really suited it but I do still have some spinach. Um, and I've tried to grow different varieties of spinach to see if that has been better. Um, so one in particular, red kitten spinach, um, which I hadn't tried before. And it did bolt, but it took a lot longer to bolt than the others. So right. that's a win. <laughs> we'll grow that again. <laughs> I've um, written so I've that got down because
0: s- I've struggled this year. So yeah. I'll try that one. Um,
1: and it's a lovely colour as well. It has this beautiful kind of pinky red rib through it so and it's a right. really good taste um so yeah that's definitely a win so I'm going to try and save some seed from that but I'm also sowing some more well I sowed some more about fortnight ago see mm-hmm. if I can get an autumn crop yeah. um and then other things that have done well this year are the root crops so carrots beetroots um the onions have been great as well they've been really good this year but again I've tried to grow more than one variety of each thing so with the kale we've got Red Russian, which is my favourite, and um, which grows really well for me, um, Cablo Nero, and then we've had some purple curly kale as well this year. So if my idea is that if one doesn't do particularly well, the others will. This year all the kale's done great. So I'm literally like armfuls of kale. <laughs> but happily we'll all eat it. So that's fine. <laughs>
0: That's good. Yeah, we we had a message a couple of weeks back saying, can we just keep it a little bit on the kale? Like, keep some of the kale back. (laughs) We've run (laughs) a veg box scheme and it's been (laughs) kept. in bundles and bundles and people want mm. to get through it but i mean it's it is amazing how many varieties there are and there is a there is quite a distinct difference in in flavor especially between say red russian kale and your curly kale or i think so Ab- anyway absolutely
1: yeah there definitely is but also tell the people on your veg box that when you are using your kale to make the um the crispy chinesey kale in your mm. oven you need loads of that yeah because it goes to nothing
0: (laughs) yeah i remember the first time i made kale chips or kale crisps as we'd call Mm. them here and i remember getting just a normal bag from the supermarket i wasn't growing at the time and then you make crisps and you think i've got less than a bowl (laughs) less than a pack of walkers so yeah you do need plenty is there anything that's been a a particular challenge growing this year
1: tomatoes yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's been it's been a heartbreak this year with tomatoes, mainly because um, in the past I've always grown tomatoes. I've grown them in my polytunnel um, and I've usually grown about maybe a dozen plants maximum, um, a couple of varieties, but I've never kind of gone to town on the tomatoes. Yeah. And last year I had a significant birthday. And we couldn't go on the significant holiday as planned. So my husband built me a new shed with a greenhouse attached instead, which was a brilliant birthday present. All of my friends think I'm insane, but (laughs) I was happy. Um, Anyway, I thought, right, I've got this greenhouse. I'm going to absolutely go to town. I'm going to get all the tomato varieties. You know, I'd been looking adoringly at the pictures online, like, you know, of all these heirloom, beautiful, fabulous things. Um, so I did. Got my tomato seeds, planted them all. All the plants were brilliant. Got them all in the greenhouse. They were all looking marvellous. Um, yeah, everything was going really, really well. And then summer came, or didn't come. Or didn't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also realised that I knew that my greenhouse was going to be under shade because I have huge trees at the back of my allotment near the river, mm. but it was under more shade than I'd hoped. Maybe the tree has grown a bit since, you know, but, um, yeah, it wasn't getting enough sun a, because the weather was rubbish. Um, and because it had too much shade through the morning. Mm. So by the time the sun's coming round it just wasn't enough for tomatoes. Um, it was too damp, it got blight, grey mould, you name it, it got it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think because I would put so much effort into them and I had so many kind of dreams of them being wonderful, it was extra disappointing when they did rubbish. Mm. Um, maybe if it had been a normal year and I'd had my half dozen plants, I'd have been like, oh, well, you know, yes. is what it is. But, yeah, um, I think... I think it's learning from that going forward as well. You know, I live in Lancashire. I live in the hills. We never have the most wonderful summer. Every year I hope it's going to be different. Um so I think it's a case of accepting that my greenhouse is destined for other things, you yeah. know. Um maybe maybe cucumbers will be happier in there mm. and I'll be able to grow things over, you know, to extend my season more as opposed mm. to trying to go for those and um, very gorgeous summer crops. So yeah. I think yeah. Today is the day some of those tomatoes are coming out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's the day. I mean it's heartbreaking I think you're right because you do build those up because you put the, you seed them so early. I mean if it's Absolutely. lettuce and you lose it it's like oh, okay 30 days that's not a problem. But yeah, yeah I mean some of our tomatoes we seeded in February and to have them yeah just start producing probably four weeks ago just about got enough sun in the polytunnel to to start Mm. putting them in our veg boxes and then within two weeks blight moved in because it's been so wet and they're taking i would say three times as long to ripen than they normally do and
1: absolutely it's
0: heartbreaking because of that length of time and yeah but you've got an, an amazing outlook on it i love the positivity i mean <laughs> our cucumbers have done amazing this year because it's been so wet they are made up mainly of water so um i can't keep up with them to be honest yeah well there's
1: always winners and losers isn't there that's how exactly. it goes yeah exactly
0: um so you are a new or i certainly saw on instagram i can't remember how old the post was but a new chicken mum
1: yeah, so we've had the chickens, well, we've had them over a year now, but that still feels quite new compared to other people who take care of poultry. Yeah, we absolutely love them. But yeah, they have such great characters. It feels so wholesome going down there, you know, picking mm. up your own eggs, um, knowing exactly what you've fed them. Um, well, when they've not foraged random stuff that you probably don't want to think about. Um, you know, but yeah. yeah. They, they are. They're just fabulous. Um, it's it's also something that's really interesting because you start off being a chicken parent without much experience and suddenly you get all these new situations that you have to navigate. Mm. Um, we have one problem chicken, um, <laughs> as, so? as every family does, you know. Um, basically, this chicken has just had issues from day one. It, it's mm. moody, Um it had a broken beak, so we had to oh. fix that. I did a yeah. bit of beak surgery that was yeah. my nail file and my clippers and all sorts. <laughs> um, it's gone broody twice. Um, it's gone through a horrific molt. Um, yeah, it just wants to be problematic, I think, but <laughs> the others are fine, the others get on fine. Um, and yeah, we just love them. The, there's one that's like. the the kind of bottom of the pecking order and that's Doris and she'll kind of let you carry her around and she's really cute. Um, But yeah. And the upside also is of course I have absolutely loads of chicken manure. So yeah. yeah. So the beds this year, in lockdown I started a little veg patch at home because um, although our garden is terrible for growing vegetables, we do have kind of a verge at the front of the house Mm. Um, it's a bit of an unusual setup, so most people have a little bit of lawn there. I've now got a veg patch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Um, and yeah, so my chicken manure is going to be filling those beds this year. So that'll be great.
0: It yeah. is. A, it's an amazing byproduct, isn't it? Of Being to get eggs. Do you use the chickens in any other way? Have you put them to work at all?
1: Well, not especially, to be honest. Um, I do kind of let them out to do a bit of weeding Mm -hmm. um so in the back garden I just have flower borders um kind of on a big slope so it's quite difficult for me to weed Mm -hmm. so yeah once everything's kind of finished off in the autumn I shove them on there for a few days and they get rid of all the bugs and the problem is is that they're quite picky so (laughs) other people's chickens seem to be quite happy eating caterpillars and things but not mine so they um they're much happier eating like the lettuce and the chard than they are eating the weeds. Um, yeah. yeah. So I could do with better trained chickens. I think really.
0: <laughs> we had to, we had to train it into ours. We had them from very young and we had to almost, it felt like, yeah, making baby food for them, chopping up, which felt, bad anyway but chopping up caterpillars and bits and pieces and putting them in with their food and then they were wow what is this Ah, now (laughs) they're now they're in there but um
1: no you've spoiled mine haven't i so that's it (laughs) i've only got myself to blame
0: (laughs) We've got some pigs on site and my dad was here at the weekend. And every time he went up there, he took one of our oversized cucumbers to them. And I said, yes. you've spoiled them. Every time you walk anywhere <laughs> um, near them on the farm now, they're going to squeal and expect food. I said, you've you've done it now. <laughs> he said, I can't believe you are giving um, me tips on parenting, Chris. Um, <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> well, that's a whole other anyway. story, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, it does lead in nicely because you've got four children and you've involved them on the plot from, well, from day one really so Mm -hmm. um how have you sort of uh, i know that you've had it such a long time that they were from from babies to to and and now teenagers how have you Mm -hmm. involved them in in that from that such a young age
1: um well it's always been a family affair i've always referred to it as kind of our plot you know it's Mm -hmm. our allotment um and i've from the beginning always let them have their own area for growing amazing um i started off being um, a bit more hands-on with that and soon realised that that was not the way to go. Um, you know, it needs to be their plot. It needs to be their little patch. And if the weeds grow and if they put everything ridiculously close together, well, that's the learning curve, you know. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, so they started off with kind of a long strip each, um, which was okay, but it was quite difficult for them to manage. So when we got the extra half plot, they each made their own raised bed. So they Great. did some woodwork and made the beds themselves with a bit of help. And, um, and now they have kind of a meter square each to be able to grow whatever they want to grow. Um, again, it, it's, it's very tempting when you're doing your plans to go... Could I just put, you know, in that one? Um, I did get away with one squash growing up an arch on the edge of one this year. But <laughs> on the whole, I do try and stay away from it. And it's absolutely lovely to see how differently they all develop. Mm. So every year they, you know, they plan when I plan the allotment, they plan what they're going to do in their patch and we decide what seeds they're going to want. Um, And then... I think probably like me, most of them change the mind as they go along. But yeah, some of them don't. And this year we've got, my eldest is very into growing flowers. She always has been. So she's got a real mix of, she's got nasturtiums and sweet williams. But then she's also got some beetroot, some garlic has been in there. Um, So she has a bit of a mix going on. And And that's perfect because obviously by her growing all these flowers, it's bringing pollinators in for me. So I don't have to kind of give space to these flowers. Um, And then my other son, he's, um, he's much more of a kind of grow it in rows, have one decent crop. So he's doing Brussels sprouts for the Christmas dinner, but he's, he's been reading a bit of Charles Dowding with me. So he's also now into planting. So he's got some beetroot growing at the same time that he can harvest before the Brussels sprouts are ready. So Yeah, it's amazing really to see how different they are, but also how each of them have developed over the years.
0: I love that. I absolutely adore that. And, And have you seen them, I suppose because they've all been involved in it from an early age, it's difficult to tell, but have you seen them have much more of a love for vegetables compared to say maybe other children who haven't been involved in growing them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for all children, if they've been involved in the cooking process, they're more likely to eat it. If they've been involved from the beginning and they've grown it and then cooked it and then you know they're much more likely to eat it aren't they and mm. um, we have some friends that are really fussy eaters but they're quite keen on fishing and mm. over the holidays they did a bit of mackerel fishing and because they'd caught the mackerel they were all kind of devouring this mackerel and the parents were like don't eat this stuff you know? <laughs> but it's been involved it's having the ownership um and yeah I, I don't have fussy eaters no
0: and i think it's real flavour isn't it there's a diff- there's a huge difference between growing your own and, and what's available in in some supermarkets nowadays and so they they're tasting real natural sugars in there that that that, that wouldn't have been maybe tasted in in yeah. supermarket stuff that might have been just boiled. absolutely
1: um, yeah we, we love doing that we love kind of oh this is our cucumber and you know how much better it is than the other <laughs> cucumber um but also i think from a parents point of view you know you feel like you're giving them the best possible thing um, and you know i don't grow enough that we can eat from our allotment all year round no. you know when it's there we eat from it we supplement that the rest of the year with regular fruit and veg mm. um but that's kind of the best that we can do with the space we've got mm. available so as, as a parent you feel like you're doing something right ticking the box
0: yeah absolutely i bet you notice yeah. the difference though don't you
1: Absolutely do. Yeah. (laughs) I also like really cannot stand buying salad from the supermarket (laughs) because like, especially in the summer, if you go away on holiday, um, we do quite a bit of camping. And yeah, I'm like, oh, why did I not bring a couple of pots of lettuce (laughs) with us?
0: Yes. I've become a pure salad snob. I went to a lovely Italian restaurant recently and they had rocket across the top, and it was just, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was probably fine, but because we grew such great <laughs> rocket this year with such a lovely flavor,
1: yeah,
0: I just sort it. of moved it to the side. <laughs> so, yeah, my wife Emily was like, You've become a salad snob now. Oh,
1: um, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, <laughs> <laughs> should
0: a badge. We should get a badge. Absolutely. um I've seen a fantastic set of highlights on your Instagram of Perennial edibles, mm. which is something we're massively looking to here on the farm. So I just wanted to ask you about that and what some of your favourites are.
1: Yeah, so that's something that over the past couple of years I've really been fascinated by. Mm. And I've been so impressed by the perennials that I've introduced and how they've filled the hungry gap in the early spring, how you know they they really kind of, I think I said in one of my posts, kind of become a bit of a backbone to the allotment. Um, and when The annual stuff is kind of rising and falling. They're just there Mm. all the time. And many of them you can pick right through the year. So, yeah, there are certain ones that really stand out. Um, The Taunton Dean kale is fabulous. Um, It produces the whole year round. It's not as susceptible to pests as the others. I don't have it netted and it gets the odd infestation of a few caterpillars it gets a few snails but it doesn't kill your plant you know it's mm. it's so robust um and it's a great taste it's definitely a winner um some of the other things that i've been doing are the, the kind of more regular ones really i suppose things like your rhubarb and your artichokes um i've tried quite a few different tubers this year and um, when i took on the plot i had jerusalem artichokes there I didn't know what they were there was just this enormous trifid type plant that came up <laughs> yeah. um and uh, yeah I did a bit of research and realized I had Jerusalem artichokes so those come up every year every year I kind of just pull up as many as I can and what's left in the ground come back the next mm. year um and those are great we've we've discovered a way that we like them we didn't particularly like them to start with um, but now we roast them, we put them in soups and things like that. And oh, they're delicious. Mm. Um, so, so that's great. But we're also trying um, mashua and ochre this year. Oh, great. Which, um, you know, for people who don't know, are some South American tubers. Um, we started to grow them because I was doing a, a topic with my children, um, because of the home education that we do, um, on the Incas. And so we were like learning about the different ways that they freeze dried their tubers um, up in the Andes. And um, so we thought, well, we'll give them a go and give, you know, we'll try and grow some. And so far, so good. I mean, we've not harvested any yet because you harvest them quite late, um, usually about November, I think. But yeah, really healthy plants, been really interesting to grow, so different. You know, I planted one mashua, which is maybe four inches long and I've got this enormous vine plant that's just taken over this archway and um, it's really beautiful leaves they are edible as well the leaves um right. and yeah it's just it's as a grower I think that's why you do it you want to be excited by it every year and I think by growing the odd new thing um it, it keeps that excitement in there doesn't it
0: definitely and and it's a staple like you say a backbone throughout the year some of these things they just Mm -hmm. keep one keep coming back so i mean the reason we're looking into it is that annuals are a lot of work and perennials can really reduce some of that that work and stress especially yeah let me say totendine kale is so hardy and it's so easy to reproduce i mean we only bought four plants this year just to give it a try but I can probably double that in cuttings each year, if not more, can't you? So
1: That's it. I started with three little cuttings. Um, I now have about probably 10 plants that I have growing between here and the allotment. Um, And yeah, you know, over the winter and spring, it just keeps you going the whole way through. Um, I have another couple of perennial kales that I'm trying. Um, One of them is a Kovo kale, which apparently comes from Zimbabwe. Wow, um, okay. and is a similar kind of a similar type to the Taunton Dean, but mm. has a different leaf, and it's quite. It seems like a much more tender leaf than the Taunton Dean. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. They're quite, you know, not as established plants yet, but it'll be quite interesting to see if they grow as well
0: amazing i've tried to yak on this year which is something i hadn't tried before um oh yeah which which is yeah going absolutely crazy another tuber and we got given some um from a lovely lady in the village and tried it and it's a taste sort of like an underground pear slash watermelon tuber. it was incredible
1: yeah i I put a few in and it's gone boom um like a bit like a water chestnut sort of Mm, um yeah that kind of crunch but yeah we've i've got one coming in because somebody on Instagram very kindly sent me a little kind of cutting plant of it. Mm. Um, so I've got it in a great big tub and it All seems right. to be doing very, very well. Um, <laughs> they really we spread. They really it, spread. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the recommendation that if I didn't want it kind of everywhere, maybe I should put it in the tub. But um, we, we shall see what the results are when I dig it up, I suppose.
0: Amazing. One One that I was really interested to to ask you about was, is it Skirret. Skirret.
1: Skiret. Spirits. Yeah, it yeah. seems like
0: the long forgotten vegetable.
1: Absolutely. Um yeah, that was one that I planted in last year. Um it was a very small plant, so the you weren't recommended to harvest it in the first year. Yeah. Um I did have a bit of a feel around in the autumn awesome just to see <laughs> and there were some kind of very probably like pencil thin roots on there. Mm. Hopefully this year I'm going to be able to harvest some of it. Um but yeah, it's kind of meant to taste a bit like a parsnip. But again, it's perennial. You just harvest what you want from it. You put the rest back in the ground and away it goes again. It's totally hardy and it has the most beautiful flowers. They're kind of a little bit like cow parsley. Mm. Um, You can also eat the leaves earlier on in the spring so you can have them as part of your salads. Um, So yeah, just a real all-round great plant. And I think lovely to kind of stop them from disappearing um, mm. and that, that almost feels like a bit of history. You know, the Anglo-Saxons were probably eating skirrut, I would imagine. Um, you know, it's, it's something that you can, you can kind of bring back to life, I guess, by growing them. You know, it might not be that the big seed companies and things are promoting these plants, but actually they grow really well in our climate and, mm. They can give us a crop, as you said, an easy crop at times when other things aren't doing so well.
0: It's um, it's amazing, isn't it? You delve into this world. I mean, I didn't, I've never heard of them before. I saw your story, so I must thank you. I'm going to give them a go and, and bring them back. But there Absolutely. are so many perennials like that, and I, I almost feel like maybe at some point someone got together and and decided, well, look, we'll just grow these annuals because it's i don't know it's harder to grow them yourself and therefore people are going to flood to the supermarkets but there are so many of these things that could be staples in our diet that are just available either on the (laughs) in the woods or on the side of the road or that we could grow so easily in our gardens
1: absolutely and i think a lot of these things went out of favor when people stopped growing vegetables um as the norm you know obviously Mm. like in way back in history People had kitchen gardens. That was a normal thing to do. Yeah. After the Industrial Revolution, that changed. And and as commercial growers came along, they needed things that were easy to harvest, that were, you know, in the case of onions, that are singular onions that you can have a standard size for. Mm. But as individual growers and as growers of interesting vegetable boxes, um, you know, we were not necessarily looking for a standard size or... Yeah. or or, or anything like that you know we want interesting foods that are you know changing with the seasons and providing us with the best nutrition so yeah Yeah.
0: 100 percent. there's so many i've got told i was bonkers the other day we've just bought a seed packet of good king henry which essentially is a a weed that most people can't get out of their gardens but the leaves are edible the actual flowers um you can fry up and they taste just like asparagus i think they're called poor man's Mm -hmm. asparagus and yeah someone said if you sow them you're bonkers because they will spread like mad but
1: well actually if you sow them and they actually grow I will be like you know your biggest <laughs> fan because I have tried to grow from seed, and I know several other people who tried to grow from seed, uh, and they are notoriously difficult to germinate um well, to the point a where challenge. <laughs> yeah, so the point where I'm like. Do you know what? I've got a few more seed in that packet and if they do not grow, I'm just buying a plant. <laughs> so, <yeah.
0: laughs> right, I'm going to have to do some more research then. I thought just because they grow anywhere and they're very good at self germinating, mm. maybe they'll be easy to grow, but uh, there's yeah. a challenge there. Then i to do some more. I think on once you've one. got
1: it going, you're absolutely fine. I think mm-hmm. it's just getting it going to start with. That's the issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. my nemesis this year has been trying to, I mean, I should have learned from the name, but trying to propagate wild garlic to move it into our farm. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, making taming wild garlic hasn't been easy. So I think that might be no, my well, new challenge.
1: I'm very lucky because we live in an area that has quite a lot of old woodland, so we have mm. wild garlic everywhere in the spring. So we are lucky that way. Yeah, yeah I haven't tried bit- to move it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bought in some some bits and pieces and then found out that the rabbits love it because they came and just dug up. Yeah. I think I bought, put in a hundred bulbs and the rabbits just came and took the lot. So that wow. was fun. Oh, um, <laughs> Ups and downs yeah. there. Indeed. So you started not only running your plot, you not only have your four children on the plot, you home educate them as well. You yeah. also decided that wasn't enough and that you would start the hashtag my month on the plot. Can you tell us a bit about it, how long you've been doing it and and what made you start it?
1: Well, yeah, um, so it's been going a few years now um, and basically before I began home educating all four of my children, I only home educated one to start with Mm. um, and we'd just done a big extension on the house because we had four children um, and we were, you know, in that situation that a lot of people were in at the time with like negative equity because of the crash and all the rest of it. So we're like, we're going to have to extend. So we had this beautiful extension. So basically I started my journey with Instagram on a house kind of interiors um, and sharing, you know, the process of the extension and redecoration and all that kind of thing. And that was lovely. And part of that was that I used to take part in a hashtag challenge related to that. Mm-hmm. Then I home educated the other three children and the, the house didn't look quite like it did before. Um, so so that that had to go to the wayside and I thought, well, you know, I do all this on the allotment and I'd, I'd love to share that really more than the house. So I started to um, started the account plot 26a. And that was going quite well. And I thought I'll do one of these hashtags. That'll be really nice. I'll be able to find other growers, other gardeners that are doing similar things to me. Um, But there didn't seem to be anything comparable at the time. So I just thought, well, I'll do it myself then and see if anybody else wants to do it. Um, So we did. And yeah, it's been a a lovely thing. Um, It's developed this lovely community, particularly great for new Growers are people who are new to Instagram because it really allows you to to navigate through and find people who have got a, you know a similar interest and um and it's it's fun as well because it by having the daily prompts and um, that are interpreted in so many different ways, um it really allows you to find that connection. So it might be that you're all feeling sorry for yourselves because blight has come to the tomatoes um, and you commiserate with each other or it might be that you know the prompt is looking at new varieties of something and it inspires you to think oh I'll have a go at that um so yeah it's been it's been great I've really enjoyed doing it
0: well, it's, it's fantastic. I'm always absolutely amazed at how you come up with all the different topics. So <laughs> for, for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, go and search my month on the plot as a hashtag. Um, and you'll see each month, a new square image comes up with a different topic for each day. And people mm-hmm. have to post alongside that, or choose to post alongside that. How do you come up with all those topics is that something that's always on your mind or do you just sit down and go right what are we going to do
1: a little bit of both i suppose um i think i often have a little look to see if there are any significant days first of all in the month so like this month um in september one of the prompts is take care and that was inspired because that's on international sepsis day okay um an awareness of sepsis and the Mm -hmm. reason for that is that i think we can um, not be as aware of gardeners of the risk to us as gardeners, um, and that was brought home massively when one of the ladies on our allotment site um, developed sepsis due to nicking her finger on the plot. Wow! Um, you know, and not dealing with that immediately. Mm. So, so sometimes there are kind of things behind why those prompts are on that day. But otherwise, I tend to look back through my own posts from the previous couple of years of that month and see, you know, what was happening then, um, what might we want to be looking out for, what sort of things are we growing, you know, seasonal type things. So, yeah, it's, um, and then it just kind of pops out from my crazy mind.
0: (laughs) Hasn't driven you mad some months then?
1: No, no, not yet. Not yet. Not driven me (laughs) mad yet. No. (laughs)
0: fantastic oh, it's such a, an amazing it's brought a lot of people together I, I, I participated in a month a couple of months ago and it was just so many people come together under that and I think Instagram has an amazing growing community full of amazing people doesn't it
1: it really does and I think social media can have a really bad press mm. and used in the wrong way obviously you know that's deserved but as far as the gardening community on Instagram it really is such a positive space and a place I think as well where a lot of people that are gardeners, it's it's something you do on your own. Yeah. You know, you are there on your own on your plot or your own in your garden and your close circle of friends may not be gardeners. I know mine aren't, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's lovely to have like minded people to be able to chat with and, you know, compare your journey and and share as well, you know, show off a bit what you've been doing because that's it's nice to have that praise, isn't it too?
0: Yeah, certainly. You put a lot it's, of effort in. <laughs> yeah, you do, yeah. and yeah, no, it's it, you're right. It's it can be quite a solitary thing to do, and sometimes that's what draws us to it. But that mm-hmm. sometimes that can make us feel lonely, and and having that growing community there, especially when you we mentioned blight a few times, when something that yeah upsetting happens, yeah. It, it you yeah. don't want to wish it on anyone else. But knowing that it's happening not just to you means that yeah, it's it yeah, it's um. Makes you feel a lot better, really, doesn't
1: it? It does, and as well, sometimes you know, it can provide um, it can provide a solution. You know, I think a mm. lot of people that were suffering with like a recipe was shared for a spray that you can make up with water and oil and some bicarbonate of soda. That yeah. kind of doesn't make it go away, but it slows down the process. Mm. Um, so things like that that you might never have heard of, and suddenly you think, oh, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. You know, <laughs> maybe I can do something about it. So, yeah, no, it's a lovely community for
0: that. It's great. I think it stops you, um, It certainly for me this year, stops me questioning my own ability sometimes. I mean, we've had a hard mm. season of wet. I mean, we've really struggled. We couldn't, we've grown one crop of carrots despite trying seven different times oh. throughout the year to sow, and it's just because of the wet and the yeah. way that it is here. And I, I was genuinely signing up for courses, <laughs> doubting <laughs> your own ability. And then just a little bit of mentioning it on Instagram and the com- comments that come in, you say, okay, mm-hmm. it's not just me. It's not just me that's suffering. I don't need to doubt my ability. It's just, this is what happens sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It can be a really affirming place. Yeah.
0: I love it. And you've built a great Instagram following on on both of your accounts. Um, obviously you've taken time over that through, Um, through through your allotment but have you got any tips for growing an an Instagram account to that I think that that can draw people into to wanting to do this
1: yeah I think I think if your aim is to grow an Instagram account then that might not work out it's backwards Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah I think I think the reason that people follow like I know the reason I follow other accounts is because it's it comes across as a genuine account. You know this person is enjoying what they're doing, and they would be doing that whether there was Instagram or not. Yeah. Um, and and also, I think by engaging with the people who are following you, you know, um, it's they are following you for the post that you put up, but they are doing it because of the community so if Mm. you're not engaging with them then then really it's kind of a one-sided thing isn't it um which which isn't in the spirit of it so yeah so engaging with people being interested being genuine about your posts um you know posting because that is what's happening to you at that time um and just yeah just enjoying it i think is the thing um and sharing the ups and downs. Mm. I don't think there's a magic formula maybe there is if it's a business account or something maybe there's something else you should be doing but I think from my point of view it's just it's just sharing that journey and and I'm very grateful that people are interested (laughs) enough to want to follow along
0: well being genuine I think is is the main thing on Instagram or certainly in the in this space I mean we have opened a business account and from that point of view the we quickly worked out that genuine posts were the only way to go and share it. And, and people ask, How did you get your customers? And we're in our second year, we do 60 boxes a week. They say, How did you get those customers so quickly? And it was, We just shared our story. The ups, the multiple downs. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the downs are more popular than the ups on Instagram. Yeah, I find
1: that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Our most successful post is um, that we we built a shed and it lasted forty eight hours and a storm blew it oh. away. And it's the most oh. successful post, so actually it's made that not profitable, but at least better. But <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, there's some some silver line in there.
0: <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, we we had Lawrence on from Soul Farm. Um, it's a market garden in in uh, Cornwall. Mm-hmm. And he ran a crowdfunder campaign and he, uh, we were asking him for tips on running a crowdfunder. It can be really important when starting a market garden, that sort of funding. And yeah. uh, he said generally he couldn't give too many tips because he had a good sob story <laughs> and right. called it the X Factor Effect. <laughs> and he said that was a very powerful way way of doing it. But, um yeah, sometimes it can feel the same on Instagram. But being genuine, I think, is, is a great tip there. And also get involved in my month on the plot, which is what I was expecting Absolutely. your first thing to be.
1: Well, do you know, I, I honestly um, don't promote it that much, I think. And people are often like, oh, I didn't even realise you ran that. I didn't realise that was part <laughs> of what you did. Um, because it does kind of have a life of its own. Mm. And I don't want it to be my month on the plot I want it to be everyone's month on the plot you know it's it's the community that owns that I put out the prompts but it's the community that makes that a success so um so yeah I do feel it's two quite distinct things I guess
0: and I love that that the the prompts can be and I can tell that they're written in such a way sometimes that you just want people to to do their own thing with it it's not show us your red tomatoes it's variety it's just something tomatoes or just something so that people can take that and and run with it however they want I adore that
1: yeah because I think it's really important like when I first started I had so many messages from people saying well I only have a balcony garden can I take part or Mm. I only grow a few pots in the back like I'm not sure this is really for me and it's like well no it is for everybody um and there are a lot of allotment holders take part. You know, it is mainly about growing veg. But then we also have some people now that have gardens full of beautiful flowers and they take part. We have small holders. We have homesteaders over in America. Um, We have people who have kind of a similar allotment situation, but over in the Netherlands, they're taking part. Um, And literally, you know, the prompts have to allow for that. You know, they have to... Mm. uh, allow for the fact that you might not be even growing tomatoes I guess um yeah it's getting that balance it's finding enough that it makes it relevant but at the same time that it can be interpreted in lots of different ways and make it so that whatever your growing space is like you can take part
0: yeah, I adore that. I absolutely love it, I and mean, you see it with with the fact that it has gone global and everyone gets involved. It, it's amazing, and, and it can be a place to just yeah find solace or find tips. It's it's fantastic. So. Absolutely,
1: we have quite a lot of people that kind of don't actually take part themselves, who are just kind of on the periphery and just use it as almost a learning tool. You know, they just dip into it and find out all this information and comment on the posts and things, and that's absolutely great too. You know, that's that's absolutely fine if if that's what makes you happy.
0: Definitely. Absolutely love mm-hmm. it. So we've, uh, I've, I've taken up a fair bit of your time, so I'm just conscious of that, but I want to can't let you go until we do the quick fire questions that we do with all of our guests. Okay. Um, don't worry, they're not too difficult. Um, <laughs> so we'll go straight in the favourite tool that you use on your plot.
1: My favourite tool is, I don't know the name of it, but basically it's a handle at the bottom. It goes up. It has like a little hoe at one side and a claw at the other side. And it's just a hand tool and it's brilliant because you can use it for weeding you can dig holes but i have to put in there that my second favorite is my hori hori knife because yeah. that's a new one to me this year but yeah it's been a bit of a game changer so yeah i'd, I'd have to give them both top spots yeah they're all
0: they're both i think i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head either but they're both old tools aren't they they're, mm. they're conventionally tools with loads of history and i think. We, yeah. we can buy all the new ones and and, and get excited at the garden centre, but the oldest tools, ones that are left in sheds on allotments, are often some of the best tools you can Absolutely. get. Absolutely are. Great answer. Uh, the next one is the crop that you grow that you know you shouldn't or that you can't.
1: <laughs> There's probably a list. Um, <laughs> squash. Squash, mm. um, yeah. I think summer squash, fine, but like winter squash i would never ever managed to grow decent winter squash, but every year I try. Every year I'm convinced it's going to go well. This year I do have winter squash plants. Mm-hmm. Not that many squash on them, um, but that's an improvement on previous years. So, yeah, I'll probably carry on trying.
0: Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Uh, your favourite allotment or growing hack or tip?
1: Um, The no-dig method has to be that. Um, Yeah, the no-dig method, because it just makes your life so much easier. It's great for the environment. It's great for your soil. It's, It's great for your plants. And it's great for you no dig yeah.
0: <laughs> do it we haven't touched on a great deal but I think everyone we've had on this podcast so far employs in some way no dig and it's just mm-hmm. it's it's coming through in every aspect from from gardens to allotments to small holdings up to farms and it's it's fantastic it's absolutely yeah. fantastic I don't think Charles hasn't got a shout out on any podcast so far so no <laughs> it's very good <laughs> I'm not surprised what's um not necessarily one that you can't but your least favorite crop that you grow either to grow
1: or to eat sweet corn is is one of my favorite things to eat it's one of my least favorite things to grow because it takes up loads of room Mm. it's such a diva everything (laughs) else wants to eat it um and so you know I end up giving it all this space every year and every year we get like a handful of cobs and the badgers eat more than we do, I reckon. So, yeah. So every year I say, I'm not going to grow it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The badgers came in and nicked a few of ours last night, actually. But it's Mm -hmm. it's so... It's one of those crops that's so different to what you can buy, isn't it? If you, we, oh, we, the other hugely. night we got, they say, if you get the pot boiling and then go and pick it, you always yeah. hear that and go, right, I'm going to do it. We did it. And it just blew your mind. It was sweeter than Haribo. Just Absolutely. Beautiful. I mean,
1: we often just eat it raw um, mm. when, when we pick it, um, which is fabulous. But again, I could feel a bit cheated because none of them ever make it home either.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs>
1: So it's a bit of a love-hate with the sweet corn, I reckon.
0: Yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay, it's the question that everyone waits for. Um, do you prefer a beer or wine at the end of the day on the plot or a tea or a coffee in the morning on the plot?
1: Ooh. I'll have to say it's a tea or coffee in the morning on the plot because I have to drive to my plot. Ah. So it's not very often that I get a beer <laughs> or a wine there. <laughs> Um, unless I'm getting a lift home so so yeah I would go for the tea or coffee in the morning also if I've managed to get there in the morning away from my motley crew then that's a win (laughs) that's
0: that's a good one and is it tea or is it coffee
1: coffee in the morning coffee in the morning tea in the afternoon yeah (laughs)
0: Andy, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to talk to you. Um, Where can people go to find you online?
1: So I'm at Plot26A on Instagram. Um, And yeah, I'll be very happy to to make your acquaintance. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you.